As we stand, let us pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to understand what your word says to us. Help us to listen, to hear, and to receive from you that which you may have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If Jesus had been born today in urban America rather than 2,000 years ago in largely rural Palestine, I wonder what would some of the stories of his life have looked like? You know, I think many things would be very similar. After all, people are people the world over and through time. The stuff of life, marriage, divorce, success, failure, being popular or unpopular, feeling loved or unloved, having faith or not being sure, having children or not, work, sickness, rejection. These things really haven't changed very much at all down the ages. If Jesus had been born today, I'm sure his encounters with people would be just as real just as shocking, just as life-transforming now as then. The differences would merely be in the circumstances. So thinking about this long reading we just had from the gospel today of Jesus meeting a woman at a well, how might an exchange and an encounter like that happen today? Well, let me give you a peek into my imagination. Scary place to go, I know, but um, humor me. Here's one way I imagine a similar encounter could have happened today. First, by way of background, here's what's happened leading up to this encounter. Jesus has just spent a week in Washington, D.C. He'd been the guest at a society wedding. Uh, The wine had run out, and he'd performed his first miracle, turning some crates of Perrier water uh, that were on hand into some vintage Chateau Neuf du Pape. He'd also been into the National Cathedral and caused quite a stir there, uh, throwing out a busload of tourists who were interrupting evening prayer with all the photographs and flashes. He'd then upset the church officials who were selling souvenirs and postcards in various parts of the cathedral. He literally went round, swept everything off the tables and caused quite a ruckus. Later, while he was in D.C., he'd had a meeting with a member of Congress late at night on the... Uh, steps of Capitol Hill. This leader also happened to be a member of the cathedral chapter, and it was an extraordinary encounter in which Jesus told this man who was a lawyer that what he needed was to be born again. Well, now, having traveled for most of the day on a Greyhound bus, Jesus winds up in Pittsburgh. He's tired, he's thirsty, and it's midnight. So Jesus goes into a bar and takes a seat. Well, it's not long before a young man comes up to the bar to order a drink. Jesus immediately speaks to him and asks him if he'd mind buying him a drink. To which the man, who was rather startled, says, How come a devout religious person like you is asking me for a drink? 
Jesus responds by saying, if you knew what God really wanted to give you and who I am asking you for a drink, it would be you asking me to quench your thirst by giving you drink that never runs out. The man looks at him and says, but dude, you don't have any money and the drinks in this place aren't free. So Jesus says to him, if you have a beer, that's not actually going to satisfy you. You'll soon be back for more. But if you drink what I have to offer you, you'll never be thirsty again. Well, because the man at the bar's uh, pretty thirsty and because he figures he's got nothing to lose, he says, okay, give me some of that drink so I don't have to keep coming up to the bar. Jesus says, okay, but uh, first go and ask your brother over there to come and join us. The man looks at him and says, I don't have a brother. And Jesus says, actually, I know that. The guy you're with tonight is your lover. And actually, you've had five lovers before him. Shocked now and eager to change the subject, the man says, I realize that you're some kind of a prophet or something. Uh, Tell me this, have the Catholics got it right or is it the Anglicans? You know, when I was growing up, I was told the only true church was Rome. And Jesus says to him, you know, what matters is that you worship God for real. At the end of the day, it's not about whether you're Catholic or Presbyterian or Baptist or Anglican. Well, sure, the man says, uh, one day God will presumably sort everything out and in heaven there won't be any different religions and, and, and we'll all be okay, won't we? And Jesus says to him, listen, I am the son of God and I'm sitting right in front of you. Don't get sidetracked with what's going to happen at the end of time. Now is the time for you to face into the truth. Now is the time for you to get right with God. Well, the man leaves and immediately starts telling his friends about this person who asked him for a drink and he knew all about his life and who was the son of God. And as a result of this, lots of folks in this guy's community came to know Jesus. Okay, well, you can step out of my imagination now. But I have to say, a gay guy in a bar at midnight in Pittsburgh is precisely... The person Jesus has time for. Just as he had time for a straight girl by a well at midday in Samaria. The true account of Jesus' encounter with this Samaritan woman at the well is actually a very shocking story. It probably doesn't shock us because we're not living in that culture but it would certainly have been shocking at the time. There were at least three good reasons why Jesus should not even have spoken to this woman. First, because she was a woman. There was a a rabbinic citation that said this, a man should not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife, and certainly not with someone else's wife because of the gossip of men. And it is forbidden to give a woman any greeting. That's the context in which this encounter happened. Secondly, this particular woman was a Samaritan. And the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Indeed, a devout Jew wouldn't have even gone through their territory. He would have taken the long way around. They were arch enemies. Each certain that the other were heretics. With divisions that went back hundreds of years. 
Another rabbinic statement declared, He that eats the bread of the Samaritans is like one that eats the flesh of swine. And here's Jesus without a bucket asking for a drink from this woman. How extraordinary. Thirdly, this particular Samaritan woman was also of very dubious morals. Having had five husbands, she's now living with a sixth guy who she's not married to. But none of these things prevent Jesus from talking to this woman. This woman was created in the image of God, loved by God, and someone who just a few months later, Jesus was going to die for, along with other sinners like you and like me. Well, I think we can learn a lot from how Jesus handled himself and approached this situation. In particular, we can learn something about how we can, as our vision statement as Ascension proclaims, share Christ's healing with a broken world. Note, first of all, that Jesus doesn't open his conversation by saying to this woman, you dreadful fornicator, repent or you'll go to hell. What, what did he say? Verse 7, he actually starts with his own humanity. Give me a drink. Jesus is tired. He's worn out after doing a lot of ministry and after a long journey. Jesus speaks to this woman out of his own vulnerability. Now, maybe you don't like to think of Jesus as being vulnerable, but, you know, he was. As well as being fully God, he was fully human. And as such, he was hot and tired and thirsty. So he speaks with her from where he's at to where she's at. That simple. I wonder, do you take advantage of the ordinary everyday encounters that you may have to strike up conversations of substance with people? Could be anywhere. It could be at work. It could be at the, around the cooler. It could occasionally even be in the line at Giant Eagle if it's long enough. Um, you know, I try to, and uh, frankly, some people may look at you like you're an alien, but still, since I am an alien, I guess that's okay. <laughs> but next, notice that Jesus did not hit her with a pre-packaged ABC of how to be saved. Most likely because that would have made her run a mile. After all, why do you think she's there at the well in the middle of the day when it's baking hot? Very likely so that she won't bump into any of the other women in town. So she won't have to face the humiliation and the shame of her situation of living with guy number six. And no doubt everybody knew about this. Given, of course, that Jesus already knew all that, it's a bit awkward, really. Just as it would be in my modern-day version of this, with Jesus encountering someone in a gay bar in our town. But please note what is going on here. Jesus is unashamedly, compassionately, and profoundly affirming this Samaritan woman. Obviously, he's not affirming her life and the mess it's in. He's affirming her. He talks with her. He treats her with dignity. And he offers her living water. He doesn't even begin to get into the sad state of her life. 
He doesn't need to. But that said, he doesn't avoid it. For he does ask her to go and call her husband, knowing full well that she doesn't have one. Very interesting to see what happens next. I I think she must have felt extremely uncomfortable. So she does what most of us would do if a conversation starts to get a bit close to the bone. She changes the subject and throws in a quick red herring. You know, the question she asked about whether they should worship only in Jerusalem or on a different mountain was actually the issue that had caused the Jews and the Samaritans to split 300 years before. So it, it was a pretty profound question. But it was hardly of paramount concern in relation to her own domestic situation. And of course, we may encounter very similar responses when we get talking to folks. If in a conversation with someone you touch a raw nerve, don't be surprised if the person you're talking to changes the subject and starts to ask you one of the age-old difficult questions like, you know, what happens to those who've never heard about Jesus? Or what do you think about transubstantiation? Well, they're perfectly good questions, but hardly of the utmost importance and concern in a conversation where you've just discovered that your friend has a drink problem or a relationship crisis or whatever it may be. Jesus doesn't dismiss the woman's questions, but neither does he allow them to completely sidetrack him away from the central issue, which was actually about her. And yet throughout this exchange, we see the compassion and sensitivity of Jesus. In their conversation, Jesus deals with her as a person in her own right, as someone unique with her longings, her shortcomings, just as she is. And of course, that is exactly how Jesus deals with each one of us today. As we heard from St. Paul in our epistle reading earlier, God proves his love for us In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For those here this morning who are followers of Jesus, I think that our failures in sharing Christ's healing with other people are very often simply failures in love. Nothing is more likely to draw others to share living water than an awareness that we genuinely care about them. Someone once said, people want to know that we care before they care about what we know. And lest we be tempted to think that we're not like the woman at the well or the man at the bar, we should remember that each and every one of us is laid bare before Christ. Frankly, most of us are pieces of work. The only way any of us can have peace with God is by faith in response to the undeserved love that God has shown to us in Christ. And so if you are feeling parched and in need of that life-giving water that Jesus was talking about, ask Jesus to give you a drink. And what is this living water? Well, it is life from the source of life. From Jesus, the giver of life. I think most people today are thirsty. Most people are thirsty for meaning. They're thirsty for love. Thirsty for significance. 
And sadly, all too often, their search for something that will satisfy these good longings lead people desperately to drink the Kool-Aid of empty promises that so often come with materialism or capitalism or self-helpism or socialism or whatever otherism. And so they chase after these things and worship them and drink them in. And for some, it may take a lifetime before they wake up from the soul-destroying intoxication of the drink that never satisfies. The headiness of success or prestige or fame or position or power or money or sex eventually wear off. And the tabloids are filled daily with the stories that betray just how parched, how empty and thirsty so many of yesterday's idols are today. But you don't need to read the tabloids, thank goodness, um, or look at People magazine to see this. You see, I expect that there are people here this morning who are like the woman at the well or the man at the bar. There are people here like the woman who goes to the well in the heat of the day hoping that no one will see her, who hide from their co-workers or their friends, maybe even their families, or from the person sitting next to them in the pew. They hide the pain that they carry. And if anyone should get near to the source of their shame or their guilt, they are quick to deflect the conversation to safe subjects of religion or politics that will soon get them away from that risk of being unmasked or uncovered. I don't know what secrets you may have. But I dare say there are some here this morning who do have secrets, who carry shame and guilt that maybe stem from wrong things that you've done or wrong things that have been done to you. Some may have deep-seated feelings of guilt or unworthiness that may come from having had an abortion or through your struggles with your own sexuality or because of loved ones you failed or betrayed. But if you are in that place, I want you to know that Jesus knows that and he sees what is hidden. He knows what you're hiding. He knows what you've done or what's been done to you. And more than that, hear this. He loves you. And he longs for you to be cleansed by his living water, to be washed clean. He longs for you to drink the living water and have your thirst quenched. And he wants you to share that living water with others. Now, I know I've mentioned some pretty deep things. I want you to know that help is available. And if I've uncovered something in just what I've said and you want to get some help, there's help available. Talk to me afterwards, one of the clergy, maybe one of our counselors. You see, though the light of 
God's truth and Jesus himself, like when he encounters this woman, though he does uncover that which is often hidden, God is also the one who covers our shame, who brings us forgiveness, who loves us. Each and every one of us constantly needs the living water that only Jesus can give. I know I do. I need that living water every day. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will make me clean or quench my thirst. We sang a moment ago that response in Psalm 95. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And if today you are hearing Jesus' voice, don't harden your heart. You know, at the end of the day, being a Christian is not about religion or about knowing the right answers to the hard questions. It's not about being good. It's not about trying harder or working harder. Rather, it is about being thirsty and recognizing our need to drink the living water that Jesus offers. And Jesus invites you to come and drink from the spring of the water of eternal life. He invites you to turn to him and receive cleansing from sin and new life that actually satisfies. It's not magic. It doesn't mean you'll never face hurt or heartache. But it does mean this. That your deepest longings for meaning, for love, for forgiveness, for acceptance, for significance will be satisfied by and in God. I want to close by offering a prayer, which I invite you to pray with me silently if you would like to. Let us bow our heads and let us pray. O oh God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill me with living water. Cleanse me from my sin. May the life and love of Jesus become a fountain springing up and bubbling over in my life and through your church. Lord, we need that living water in our midst so that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, help me to share the life-giving power of your living water to others this week. Pour out your spirit upon us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.